Hello, welcome to The Quest. My name is Alan Mulhern. We are now starting a mini-series on the changing nature of consciousness in capitalism. I begin this episode by considering one of the most mentioned psychological features of capitalism, self-interest. However, there are other, more important advantages of free markets and capitalism that are discussed. I next move in this episode onto our subject proper, consciousness and capitalism. And I confess to you that, for the first time in these podcasts, I am nervous and pause in front of this endeavour like a climber facing the cliff wall that has been imagined many times, that years of preparation have been put into, but who now looks up at it in awe. I firstly explain that China has also embarked on a massive capitalist experiment and that similar to the West, great changes in consciousness have taken place there, but that these are very different in the case of China to that of the West. I next mention some of the great classics that have treated this subject of how consciousness changes in tandem with the economic system. Those of Pollyani, and particularly Max Weber, are cited. I finally give a long list of what I believe these changes in consciousness consist of, starting with the most materialistic and ending with those of the soul and the potential radical changes to human nature in our own time. So, there is no climb on the rock face today. Rather, the ground is prepared and a plan of ascent is made. So, let us begin. First, some methodology. In paleoanthropology, the study of ancient human beings, it has become commonplace to explore the emergence and development of consciousness with reference to the material factors that have facilitated it. Some of these are to do with our bodies, For example, the upright walking human who can now wield weapons and tools, the development of the hand that can manipulate these instruments and tools, as well as the growth of the brain itself. Others relate to the type of tools we use, the stone axes and increasingly complex weaponry. Other considerations relate to the means of survival, for example, the increasingly skilled use of fire, clothes and shelter. In other words, consciousness emerges and develops within a material world with the growth of the brain and the use of instruments to promote survival in that world, which are later to be used to attempt mastery of that world, its creatures and resources. Technology and consciousness are in a dialectic from the very beginning of our evolution. Humans are the supreme tool inventor and user. Our consciousness invents and shapes these tools, which in turn shape and develop us. It is the same today, except that this process has intensified and accelerated beyond what anyone had imagined. As we shall see, there are many ingredients in this potent mix, and one of them is how the realm of our ideas also impacts upon the world. These ideas are both conscious and unconscious, and include spiritual convictions, religions and ideologies. Our methodology, therefore, is a systemic one, in which there is an interaction between the world of consciousness, the unconscious, and our material and social environment. They mutually shape each other. So, to our theme. 
the Enlightenment and scientific revolutions, essential for capitalism to emerge in Northern Europe, needed changes in consciousness, particularly to break away from the religious worldview of Catholicism and the Middle Ages. Capitalism undermines most religions and replaces them with a materialist philosophy. It also presents many changes in consciousness during the stages of its development, including the latest digital age, where human consciousness is being fused with artificial intelligence. The capitalist system at its micro-individual level has the immense advantage that it taps into mankind's most basic psychology, self-interest. Other economic formations, such as feudalism or slavery, are based on psychological principles that are nowhere near as productive. The psychology of private gain is built into human nature, with its unconscious infantile longing, hunger and greed. Generalising from this, at a more macro level, capitalism is built upon private wealth and property. The retention of the wealth in private hands generated by this system, it is argued, is vital Otherwise, the incentive to engage in productive efforts is pointless. Capitalism, therefore, gives the assurance that this wealth is protected. These motivational variables can be easily understood as basic human psychology, whether one agrees with them or not. These are often cited as the chief and sometimes the only justification for capitalism, free markets, and for the impossibility of communism, that is a system of central planning, which is to say people simply won't work for the common good, sacrificing their own well-being. They are only truly motivated in the long run by self-interest. Capitalism, as Adam Smith argued, is a system that can use this self-interest to the advantage of the whole economy, since one person's production is another's consumption. One person learning to do a job more productively, at lower price and higher quality, is to the benefit of those who purchase the product. But there are more powerful reasons for the extraordinary development of capitalism, besides the motivational argument that it stimulates and channels self-interest. These reasons lie in the structural nature of capitalism and free markets, which use a price signalling system to allocate the totality of resources in an economy that are automatically directed to competing ends. This allows the billions of transactions that happen every day in any large economy to take place automatically and at no cost. The market and the price signalling system allocate the resources of the economy. Freely floating prices are required to transmit the information about relative scarcities of goods and services. This cannot be replaced by central planners and their computers who can never do the billions of calculations required to allocate the totality of transactions in an economy and will never have enough information to do this. In addition, the process of production and profit creation means that in a competitive economy there is great pressure to channel the profits back into investment and therefore the creation of new technologies. Capitalism is then a circular reinvestment system. This accounts for the extraordinary and revolutionary efficiency of capitalism and distinguishes it from all other systems. It also accounts for the technological developments which play 
such an important part in the history of our societies. Despite these advantages of free markets, nevertheless, the state plays an increasingly important part across time in the development of the system, in the provision of public goods, education, health, police, infrastructure and so on. In addition, the state has played an important role in the distributional arrangements of the system, taxation and welfare for example, as well as the adjustments and sometimes rescue policies of fiscal and monetary policy, so evident in many countries during the present 2020 pandemic. Capitalism always has its ideological justifications like any system. Despite imperfections, it claims a sort of equilibrium at its centre, a market mechanism that works efficiently with minimum state interference when laws are obeyed and the state provides a platform for it to function. It justifies itself by providing greater wealth for a greater number of people than any other system and it equates wealth with happiness. In addition, it has provided in the West incomparably more freedoms, including political and individual, than any other system. These freedoms are not so evident in the newly emerged economies of the East, least of all in China. But their chief goal has been freedom from poverty, disease, malnutrition and high mortality. The freedom of the individual, however, does not sit well with their worldview. Compared to the West, capitalist development has had a rather different path in China, which started a unique process of free market development in the late 1970s. Therefore, a number of the features that marked the development of capitalism in the West do not apply to China, although it does share some. It abandoned central planning as an economic tool and began to open the economy to free market capitalism. Nevertheless, it kept its one-party communist system. There was to be no political democracy. China's history for millennia has been characterised by oscillations between disintegration and reintegration. On the one hand, the breaking up of its vast system as territories, tribes and ethnic groups broke away from central control. On the other hand, by the re-establishing of authority over the vast landmass and its huge, diverse population. It has oscillated between anarchy and order. The Chinese authorities knew in the late 1970s that the communist centrally planned system was doomed. The requirements of China were totally dominated by the need to create economic growth, to avoid famine and extreme poverty, yet maintain control, law and authority. The synthesis of a reasonably free market in the economy, and a tightly controlled communist political system was its ambivalent answer to its problems. It has stuck to this model and has achieved, by its own ambitions and to the astonishment of the world, remarkable success. While Western capitalism by the mid-19th century had achieved a level of economic growth capable of sustaining its populations and producing unprecedented wealth by production at home and colonialism abroad, it had the luxury of developing a debate on human values in which libertarianism, freedom from the state, that is negative liberty, 
and the development of human rights and democracy, personal autonomy and individual development and freedom, positive liberty, became central to its traditions. None of this was to exist in China. The free market model and the remarkable technologies developed by capitalism were there for the taking and later the developing, providing it could maintain order and protect the emerging free market system. It did not have to go through a long period of political and individual development that had been needed in the West. In one generation, by the application of this new model, it leapt from being a vast nation in terrible poverty with a fierce population trap into being almost the foremost economy in the world. Many predict that it shortly will be the foremost economy as the United States undergoes what appears to be an unstoppable decline. This is one of the world's most dramatic economic development stories. Among other things, it demonstrates the extreme flexibility of the capitalist system. Naturally, this change has not just been in the realm of political economy. It is involving a vast change in consciousness of a great deal of the human race and in a remarkably short period of time. Capitalism requires a change in mentality, attitude and belief to emerge historically and in turn has profoundly changed human consciousness and continues to do so. Its ability to change consciousness is crucial to its success. Parallel developments of capitalism also exist in other countries in Southeast Asia. A common theme is that the combination of a strong state a disciplined and hard-working population, plus a total commitment to change, education, modern technology and reasonably free market development is a winning formula to produce very fast economic growth. India is also a very interesting case, but in a different category. In all cases, one observes a change in attitudes, beliefs and ways of life as modernisation grips the collective psyche of these countries, undergoing unprecedented transformation. With respect to these changes in consciousness, some of the early classics on this subject include Pollyani in his book The Great Transformation, which argues that large changes in mentality were required to move from the pre-market system of thought to the thoroughly market-type mentality. Rationalism and individualism, for example, were required. Pagliani argued that in non-market societies, economic activities such as provisioning of goods and services are embedded in non-economic kinship, religious and political institutions. In market societies, in contrast, economic activities have been rationalised and economic action is disembedded from society as a whole and is able to follow its own distinctive logic. Max Weber, particularly in The Protestant Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism in 1905, argued that ascetic Protestantism was one of the major forces involved in the rise of market-driven capitalism and the rational, legal nation-state in the Western world. He suggested that the spirit of capitalism is inherent to Protestant religious values. 
When exploring why capitalism did not develop, first in India and China, where many conditions for its emergence did exist, science, bureaucracies, large cities, strong states, developed pre-modern economies, he stressed that there was a particular spirit or ethic in Protestantism that made the emergence of capitalism possible in Northern Europe, as opposed to Confucianism and Taoism in China, Hinduism and Buddhism in India, or the Catholicism of Southern Europe, which were essentially anti-capitalist. There was a particular vocation, positively stressed in the Protestant ethic, which emphasised thrift, reinvestment of profit, employment of others, the right to wealth and the fruits of one's labour by those productively engaged, which especially favoured the growth of capitalism, based on a free market system outside the control of church and state, one that favoured freedom and individual development and all the values associated with this, autonomy, self-reliance, self-determination, a positive attitude to economic gain, an increasing scientific view of the world, a rational spirit. Unlike Marx's theory, which posited consciousness as a reflection of the economic and technological base, Weber emphasised that changes in consciousness were vital for the emergence and development of capitalism. In addition, he argued forcibly that rationalisation, secularisation and disenchantment were the results of a new way of thinking about the world associated with the rise of capitalism and modernity. Disenchantment, incidentally, means when the spirit and numinosity and wonder of the world is removed from it by rationalism. Capitalism, like all economic activity, is an attempt to overcome the insecurity of existence and the anxiety of death with material production and increased consumption. In this, it has outpaced, by a long distance, all other economic formations. Neither is there an alternative system remotely in view that could replace its prodigious accomplishments. However, as a consequence, enormous destructive impacts are inflicted, consciously and unconsciously, on the planet, as well as many of its species. Mankind not only uses nature, but thinks he is its master. Technology is the concrete embodiment of mankind's ideas and experiments as they extract value from the world. These in turn change consciousness, belief, confidence and self-identity. Consciousness and its products, especially technologies, are inextricably interdependent from the beginning of our species. This way of looking at consciousness and its creations as a mutually interactive system is the methodology of these podcasts. It contrasts, on the one hand, with the hard materialism of a Marxist that views consciousness and culture as the superstructure determined by the economic base, the mode of production of any particular system. On the other hand, it differs from the idealist position that views society or even the world as being determined by ideas. The systemic method views these opposites as mutually determining one another. Consciousness and its products, consciousness and technology, consciousness and economics. Changes of consciousness and technologies mutually influence one another as interacting parts of an economic system. 
Changes in material and social conditions go hand in hand with changes in consciousness, value systems and even moral beliefs. Thus, consciousness as well as economic and material conditions co-evolve rather than one necessarily preceding the other. As the Protestant Reformation gathered force in Northern Europe, it was precisely the Protestant countries, England, Holland and Northern Germany, where the birth and development of capitalism was most pronounced. A change in consciousness was made possible by Protestantism, with its break from the Catholic mentality, which essentially was anti-capitalist. Protestantism, especially Calvinism, was particularly suited to the spirit of capitalism. By capitalist spirit, Weber meant ethic, or the prevailing beliefs, attitudes and mentalities necessary for the development of this economic formation. For example, individualism, rationalism, a calculating mind, economic vocation and a sense of destiny. Money-making and usury were no longer pejorative activities. This earthly life, no more a veil of tears. The entrepreneur had a religious calling to produce in this world and to provide employment. His riches were a sign of carrying out God's will rather than a sign of his sins. Protestantism tended to favour saving, thrift and investment, virtues dear to early capitalism. Thus the foundations of a change of consciousness were laid down in the great religious turmoil of the 15th to the 17th centuries and the growth of Protestantism as Weber has clearly shown. The development of industrial capitalism was the most powerful of the developments of capitalism in general. The transformation of town, countryside and their populations was revolutionary. The productivity gains of the new technologies and factories were extraordinary and provided vast profits. Capitalism has been the most inventive and revolutionary economic system in the history of mankind. Technologies are typically developed by individuals or firms and then spread to the rest of the population. In so doing, they transform the consciousness of those that adopt them. While individuals and firms in the Industrial Revolution were the creators of inventions and innovations, the impact of these on the mass of the expanding population was enormous. Thousands of innovations stem from these revolutionary inventions, like steam, electricity or informational technologies of our own age. Capitalism, allied to the scientific revolution of the Enlightenment, transformed economic, social and political structure. This altered the consciousness of the populations in the capitalist system at every level. While capitalism, science and technology obviously are products of human consciousness, at the same time they very much shape it. Economic systems and their technologies substantially change the social relationships of production and force changes in mentality and belief. Capitalism has been one of the major forces changing the nature of consciousness. So I begin by listing some of the major changes in the collective psyche of Western countries as they engaged in capitalist economic development, say from the late 1600s, early 1700s to our own times, bearing in mind that the system has undergone waves of technological development from mercantilism and the early manufacturing system in the early 18th century 
to the Industrial Revolution of the late 1700s onwards, to the post-industrial or service sector dominance of late 20th century capitalism, to the emergence of late capitalism, the digital economy of our own times. Many weighty volumes have been written on this subject of capitalist development, and I hope you can tolerate the brevity of this sketch. But the subject of changes in consciousness that occur in the emergence and development of the capitalist system and the modernisation that has been brought with it have received much less attention, and this is the focus of this mini-series of podcasts. I now give a list of suggestions of the main factors of changes in consciousness in the course of the capitalist system and the modernising mentality it brings into being. This is a work in progress and the list will undoubtedly change during this podcast series. A material view of the world. An increasingly rational and economic viewpoint. The abandonment of a religious outlook. A more individualistic mentality. An economic view of societal relationships. A legalistic view of these relationships. Rational and bureaucratic systems of control. Specialisation, but fragmentation of knowledge and therefore consciousness. Money relationships become dominant. Greater education, particularly cognitive education. Wealth creation is unprecedented and considerable pleasure follows. A vast increase in consumerism. A great increase in property ownership. A reliance upon technology. Greater freedom, for example, of movement, of democracies, of expression. A change in the nature of the repressive apparatus within the collective psyche, from one type of repressed human being, say of the Middle Ages, and early capitalism, to another type of repressed human being of our own times. An increasing dominance of the conscious over the unconscious. Increasing dominance of the left hemisphere of the brain with its analytical bias and the decrease in emphasis on the right hemisphere with its overall picture, gestalt, intuitive wholeness and embedded orientation. Disenchantment and the loss of soul a deconstruction of gender stereotypes that have dominated mankind for most of its history. The movement to a degendered human being or non-gendered human being. Informational capitalism, the age of information technology, is the latest and possibly the most profound shift in the consciousness of humanity, which is becoming fused with digital and virtual realities. The rise of artificial intelligence and the alteration of human nature. A death potentiality is activated in the human species by which a massive extinction event of life on the planet is taking place with extraordinary speed and this is caused by our industrial and economic systems. Also our philosophies ideologies, our conscious and unconscious compulsions, 
addictions and obsessions, which now extend this extinction event to the possibility that humans will also self-annihilate or live in a much diminished state with the consequences of a desecrated and ravaged planet. Thus, consciousness, for all its creativity, has activated a death potential within itself. Much as a leitmotif, the developing musical motifs within Wagner's Ring Cycle, for example, the underlying philosophy of this series is the conviction that there exists a universal pattern of an interaction of creation and destruction, the principle embodied in the dancing Nataraja, Shiva, in Hindu mythology. As I gaze upwards at the rock face and nervously contemplate the stages of consciousness that humanity has undertaken, the struggle for the ascent out of the darkness towards the light, the vast evolution of civilizations, the history of our species, and in particular the latest development of a global economic system which can and is destroying the whole enterprise, in which our greed, competitiveness, appetites, our darkness and shadow are destroying this so precious and beautiful life. This creative but still so primitive consciousness, which now has destruction in its hands, the creator and destroyer of worlds. When I contemplate this, I know that humanity is on the brink, that we are all there on a ledge, halfway up a precipice, that disappears into the clouds above, but has a huge fall beneath and possibly death. Consciousness, seeded across the universe, is an experiment of a vast cosmic intelligence. We, our consciousness, at this most critical juncture, are this experiment to see if we can climb out of our darkness into a light of a higher visionary consciousness. There is no cost-benefit analysis which will resolve our difficulties. Our reason cannot possibly find a way out of our dilemmas. Our rationalised, alienated consciousness is a significant part of our problem. Only some perspective outside our normal, limited consciousness, only our greater psyche, and especially our visionary capacity, can do this. I know there are listeners who find these podcasts emotionally difficult and even depressing. What a start to the day. Let's hear the latest of the Ten Horsemen of the Apocalypse, which that crazy Irishman is ranting about. But in my view, and that of Jungian psychology, it is only by truly knowing and accepting our darkness that we can see the light. There is a light of new vision in the modern age, It is small and only believed in by a few. It seems as nothing as compared with the vast forces of global economic development, finance and industrialisation and information technology. The forces that have produced the contemporary, alienated, rationalised, increasingly digitalised human being 
are indeed vast. The titanic forces that are currently reshaping the human being so that it is even further removed from nature are also immense and seem overwhelming. Yet history shows us that vast changes in consciousness begin like a small light, a vision glimpsed by few, but increasingly felt by many. There is an emerging vision in the modern age, which amazingly has been nurtured out of science itself, that sees the universe as alive and pregnant with meaning and consciousness, that sees nature as holy, that sees the human being as part of a spiritual development out of matter towards higher consciousness, that opposes the forces that are destroying us. Only by such visionary consciousness will we emerge from the precarious ledge we are balanced upon and move upwards to the next stage of our evolution.